Welcome to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope this podcast encourages you, challenges you, and furthers your relationship with God in a whole new way. Enjoy this week's message. have a few announcements before we get into the word this morning. I'm excited to be here this morning. Yes, got a few people. Come on. I'm, I'm glad you're here at church. Um, some people are still on vacation. They're still on the holidays. So we'll, we'll eventually get them back. Maybe one day. <clears throat> but uh, yes, yeah, so I have a few announcements for, for you. Uh, Disciple You, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. That has started. It is going so well. Um, the class is packed. Um, Pastor Steve is doing a, f- a phenomenal job. Um, it's, it's, we're, we're talking about spiritual growth. Um, so last, last week we talked about prayer. Amen. This, this week we're going to talk about spiritual discernment. I'm excited about that. So it's not too late for you to come and join us. Amen. Um, so it's been it's been going really well. Um, so we're in our second week of our 21-day Daniel's fast. Amen. The first week is always the hardest. Amen. It's when we consecrate ourselves. Sometimes we feel depleted. It's like, oh, Lord, man, I, sh- I mean, I should have gone on a diet a long time ago. Amen. That's the, you, you struggle that first week. I, you know, I see people coming in that second week and just like, oh, Lord, have mercy, just, just, just struggling, amen. So if you are not fasting, do not be a stumbling block, amen, because people, people walking around hangry. 
All right, so don't be tempting folks, amen? You never know what you got. I know we're at church, but you just never know what come out of people, amen? We all should be fasting, but uh, but if you're not, it's okay. Maybe you will join us next time, amen? But we have a lot of things to fast over for this year. God is, is going to do amazing things in this church. How many believe that? Yeah, come on, don't just give me the church agreement. Come on, if you, I want you to feel it in your heart in your spirit, that you know that the Lord is doing amazing things in this church. Amen? Come on, the enemy won't fight us for no reason. He won't fight us. He always, we have to give him a reason for him to, to fight us. Amen? To, to kill, to try to kill something, to destroy something. Amen? Come on, we're giving him a good reason because God is doing, is going to do amazing things in this church. A fervor prayer is going to uh, start February 8th on the Wednesday at 7 p.m. Um, so uh, please join us uh, for that. Amen. And so we're going to just pray over our offering before we welcome uh, Pastor Steve uh, to minister today. If I could just have you stand one more time as we pray over our offering. Um, so many of you know that we are we're trying to. Uh, we have been negotiating um, a, a new building, um, and so I've been dealing with the owners for, wow, for months now, um, trying to come up with a reasonable um, deal. Uh, so that deal actually fell through, uh, but um, God is faithful. Uh, I have so much peace about it because I only want what God wants. So it's, if it's not for us, I do not want it. Amen. But the Lord did challenge me. Actually, he's challenging the church. He spoke to me. He says that this is not between us and the bank. This is not between us and the any property owner. This is between us and God. God and us. And so God is looking for Calvary to step up. And see, he wants to have a culture of giving in this church. It's not up to any, any bank. It's not up to any property own, owner. It's up, it's, it's up to us. You see, God want us, wants us to uh, partner with him. Right? So we can't expect God to do all the work. God will not command a blessing on the church if there is not a culture of giving in this church. So there needs to be a culture of giving in this church. I give you an example what a culture of giving is like in a, in a church. If Exodus 36, uh, verse, verse 3, it says, they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to, to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. Sounds like church, right? And the people continued to bring free will offering, offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on, on the sanctuary left left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to, to be done. Then Moses gave order and, and they sent 
this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they because what they already had was more than enough to do the work. Come on, that is a culture of giving. That's what the Lord wants in this house. You don't think God would command a blessing if he sees a culture of giving in the church? It's his church. He wants us to be a part a part of it. He wants us to partner with him. Amen. It, it's nothing for God to command a blessing over this church. Nothing, nothing for God to just say, here, here's the building that I destined you to have. But he's looking for this church to step up. Amen. See, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the leader of the church, but this is God's church. As a matter of fact, God is saying, no, it's our church. It's our church. So we need to partner with him. And I'm going to challenge the congregation. We, we cannot expect God to provide a blessing for us if we have 7% of the congregation type. Only have 7% of the congregation type. So if you are not a tither in this church, I will challenge you. This is not to make you feel bad. This is an invitation to partner with God. It's just an invitation. I want in my heart, in my, my heart, this I only want what God wants. But the one thing I want for you is your finances to be blessed. I want you to walk in obedience. First things first. First things first. I want you to walk in obedience. Tithing is a biblical commandment. Amen. So I want you to be blessed. I want your family to be blessed, your household to be blessed. Amen. That is first things first. So if you don't understand the principle of, of tithing, grab hold of someone, right? And ask them to, to um, teach you about tithing. I mean, God will blow you away. Trust me. He will bless you so much because you, you are honoring him. Amen. So culture is more culture trumps vision. We have a vision over over the church. See, I don't want to just uh, just build a building. I want to build a movement where we connect people to Christ, where we experience freedom, where we hunger for God. Right. And we see people live out their purpose. I want to build that movement. Amen. I want to, I want to uh, not just a building, amen, but I want to build a movement. Are you with me? Come on, we're just going to pray over our offering, amen. It's, come on, help me welcome Pastor Steve up, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Thank you, Pastor Gwynmar, for that great exhortation. Um, a lot of times pastors feel a little hindered and speaking about money because we don't want to have the, for you to have the impression all we want is your money, <laughs> right? But, but Pastor Gwynmar hit it right on the head that the real issue is we are wanting for you to be blessed. And that really is the truth. And so I hope that you really heard what his heart and also what he had to say. I was... Um, I kind of had a little smiling moment during worship. We talked about in the middle of praise that fear can't um, exist. I can't remember exact words how it goes, but I just had a flashback when my son was, I don't know, maybe six or seven. <clears throat> I, um, and we've always taught in our house that, that we worship 
in the, in the face of any kind of adversity. And if we have any fear, we worship. And so my, my perspective is, can I get this centered? Just need to get this centered. That way I'll feel much more comfortable. <laughs> I'm not OCD, but just maybe almost. <clears throat> yeah. But we've always said that, that people shouldn't be able to tell whether we are having a good day or a bad day because if we're having a good day, we're worshiping God. If we're having a bad day, we're worshiping God, right? So um, <clears throat> one night I, I heard my son, he had already gone to bed, and I heard him in the bedroom singing. So I went in to check on him to tell him it was time to go to sleep. And he was singing because we had red Christmas lights around our house, and he thought the house was on fire, so he was singing to worship God and be rid of his fear. I said, well, son, that's a good idea, but probably if the house is on fire, you ought to get out too. <laughs> I mean, singing's good, but it's probably not enough, right? <laughs> so I just had a moment this morning. That was exciting for me to remember that. It's a great memory. Um, so we are talking about the waiting room. Pastor Winmar um, felt that God had given him a word for us to, to pursue as a church, that we have those times in our lives where we feel like we have received something from God, a promise from God, a word from God, something that he wants to do in us or do through us or do for us. And, but it doesn't, it doesn't often... It, it, well, I guess I'll just say it doesn't often seem like it happens very quickly, does it? And it's just like, okay, I, I thought I heard from you, God, but it's not happening. And that's the waiting room. We have that period of time where we receive something from God, a word that we're reading the Bible and something just sticks out at us or the Holy Spirit breathes something into our heart. And, and we feel like, wow, that's from God. And then, and then we have that time of waiting until it happens. And so that's what this whole series is about. How do we do that? And what is it that God wants to do in us during that time? Well, today I'm going to talk about Abraham. We're going to read a ton of scripture today, so just kind of hang on. But if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 12, we're going to read in chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, actually 1 through 8 for the projection people. Um, then we're going <clears> to <throat> flip over to, Act, to Genesis chapter 13, and then we're going to go to Genesis um, 22. But there's quite a bit of scripture, but Abraham is probably the prime example of waiting. Now, obviously Noah, Pastor Joaquin did a wonderful job last week talking to us about Noah. He's a great example too. I mean, he had a very long wait from when God said build the ark until the rain actually came. But Abraham, we're going to discover, waited 25 years before the fulfillment of one part of his promise. He never did experience the full scope of God's promise for him. It was hundreds of years later before his descendants possessed the land. But he did wait 25 years before he had a son by his wife, Sarah. And so there are some amazing principles that we can learn from Abraham on how we are able to wait before God for those promises to come to pass. Um, Pastor Gwen Moore, I think next week you're going to talk about one aspect of it. Today I'm going to talk about 
the altars that Abraham built. To me, it is one of the most profound teachings in Scripture. And, and as I was preparing, I told my wife, I don't know how I'm going to possibly do this in one message, but I'm going to try to just cover it. I'll just have to hit the highlights, obviously. You could actually do a whole message for each altar. So, so just have that in mind and give me some grace here. How about that? So we're going to do my best. I'll do my best to try to cover at least some real key principles that we can get from each altar. So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to start with verse 1. We're going to read to verse 7, and then we'll pick up and read verse 8 and 9 also, but we'll stop at verse 7 for now. Now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. So not only was Abraham going to be blessed, but he was going to be a source of blessing for other people. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Every single family of the earth shall be blessed through Abraham. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot with him, Lot's his nephew, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And here is a very key phrase. And the Canaanites were then in the land. <coughs> then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. To your descendants I will give this land. Which, by the way, is the land that the Israelites live in even today, thousands of years later. It's, a, it's actually an amazing progression of history. The, he said, to your descendants, I will give this land. Notice the immediate response that Abram has. To your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord. To your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abram built four altars, at least that we have recorded. He probably built more than that, but we have four that are recorded. And one of those he visited twice. And so we're going to talk about those altars. First of all is this altar, which I am calling, the, I forget how I have it in the notes. You have the notes, you could tell me. But I, I'm calling it the altar of ownership, declaring ownership. The second altar is, is coming to know God. How do I have it in the notes? <laughs> knowing God, thank you. Okay, knowing God. The second altar has to do with knowing God. The third altar has to do with the reconsecration. Because there is, in my opinion, a derailment that Abram goes through. The fourth altar, he really moves into the promise. 
And the fifth altar, he actually surrenders the dream. So those are the altars that we're going to talk about. So this is the first altar. So declaring ownership. Every commentary I read, and I agree with them, there's what, what Abraham was doing. And I'm going to go back and forth between Abram and Abraham. I'm going to probably refer to him as Abraham when I'm just talking about him. Is that okay? So Abraham, <clears throat> what Abraham was doing here, God said, this land is yours. And it's important to note that the Bible clearly emphasizes the Canaanites were there. So here's one man, one family, one grouping of people, and God says, I'm going to give you this entire land, but the Canaanites are there. And so what Abraham was doing when he built that altar, he was declaring, this is what God said, I believe it, this is my land. He was making a declaration this is my land. I know there's Canaanites here. I know it's impossible. But this is my land. And so the first thing that happened that we need to do when we feel like God has spoken a word to us, when we feel like we have heard something in the word of God that, that speaks specifically to us, that we know that God is saying to us, this is for you. Or the Holy Spirit breathes something into our heart and we feel like God has given us a promise to hang on to. Maybe he has spoken to you about particular ministry that he wants you to do. Maybe he's spoken to you about particular um, assignments in terms of work. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. God is a God of all of life. But he will speak to you and he will give you that sense of this is yours. And what we need to do is immediately stake a claim. We need to drive a stake in the ground and say, okay, I just heard from God. Because if we don't, if you don't do that, then when it starts to drag out and, and it doesn't seem to be happening, then you begin to wonder, you know, that was just probably me. That was just probably my imagination. I was just probably, you know, kind of having a day. But, but if you will, at that minute, notice, the, I mean, it's amazing to me. God said, to your descendants, I will give this land, and there he built an altar. It's like there's absolutely no time lapse. That immediately, Abraham gathered up some stones and built an altar and offered a sacrifice before God. And it was him saying that, this is my land. God gave me a promise. I lay hold of this promise. I drive a stake in the ground. This is what God said to me, and I believe it. Amen? And, and, and an, altar, an altar is a place of worship. It's a place of sacrifice for sins, but it's also a place of worship. And when we worship, what we are, what we are in essence saying is, we believe in the greatness of God. That's what worship really is. It is really a declaration of who God is, of what God is. It's a declaration of his faithfulness, a declaration of his power. And so what we're doing when we declare worship in light of a word that God has given to us, what we're saying is we believe notwithstanding the presence of the Canaanites, God is able to fulfill what he just promised. So no matter how unlikely it seems, 
that what you feel coming from God is to come to pass. You aren't looking at that. You aren't looking at yourself. You're looking at God. And you're saying, He is the one who can do this. He is the one who is able to give me this land. Abraham looked at himself, and he knew there was, it was impossible for him to possess that. I mean, it wasn't even, it just wasn't possible. It wasn't probable. It was, it was completely impossible. And so his, his worship was, okay, God, you said it. And I place my faith in you. You are the one that's going to make it happen. Amen? So just kind of going back to what Pastor Whitmore, I really appreciated what he had to share. We, we, know, that, we know that we're not going to be meeting in the gym of Calvary, not Calvary, Cal, Christ Haven forever, right? I mean, God does have a place for us. He does have a place for us. We can't make it happen. But our faith is in God. Yeah, we have to do our part. We partner with the Lord. But our faith is that God is going to be the one that makes it happen. Amen? So the altar basically becomes a stabilizing place in our life. It's, it's, it's a stabilizing force. It's like, okay... It's not happening, but I remember. I drove that stake in the ground. I lifted my voice to God, and I know God is the one who is able. And then in verse 8, it says that he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord. And then it adds a very critical phrase. And he called on the name of the Lord. He built an altar to the Lord, but there he called on the name of the Lord. A couple of things about that verse. This is the second altar growing in the Lord. But first of all, I think there is an, an interesting thing about him moving. He had just traveled 1,500 miles at least. And, you know, you could drive 1,500 miles in a couple of days. It's not that big a deal to go 1,500 miles today. But to go 1,500 miles then was a huge deal. And he wasn't, he wasn't even on, he could have been on horseback, but probably not, probably walking. And a whole, whole company with him. So it would probably taken months of time to get there. He's gotten where he's gotten. He's built an altar. And the next thing we know, he's moving again. And, and what I get from that, and I could be reading this into it, and so I acknowledge that, but to me it's like I would be thinking, I thought I was here. I thought I, thought I had made it. And you mean i got to move again? i got to go again? And, and I, I just have this sense that, that what God is saying to us is we don't ever fully arrive. We don't ever fully arrive. We're always moving in. We're getting closer. We're moving. We, we don't ever fully get there. It's just the picture I get from that. And I, I admit, I could be reading that into that, but I just see that in that passage. And so he moved again, and he built another altar, and then in this time it adds this phrase, and he called on the name of the Lord. Now let me... Hopefully I can keep you with me in this next little part. But we don't really know 
how much Abraham really knew God at this point. Now, stay with me. Don't get angry with me. But he, he was from Haran, and Joshua himself, in Joshua 24, said that Abraham's dad and family worshipped idols. So it doesn't say Abraham did. He does, he talks about, does talk about Abraham's dad, and then he says, and they worshipped idols. So the possibility exists that even Abraham had worshipped idols. But if not, we know his family did, and we also know that he was surrounded by polytheism. It was a completely polytheistic culture. And so he had, obviously he knew God to some degree because when God said, pick up and move, he picked up and moved. So there was obviously some connection between him and God. But we don't know really how much he knew God, knew who God was, or knew what God was. We just know he knew he was God. And so when he called on the name of the Lord, what that is basically saying is he began to understand who and what God was. God revealed himself, and it is a fascinating study. If you ever just are bored, not know what to do with yourself, do a study on the names of God. But the names of God throughout Scripture reveal, <coughs> reveal who and what he is. They reveal his character. And so the point here is, is that Abram obviously knew God to some degree, but he was growing in God. And the obvious implication is this, is that in our, now make sure you get this, I'm going to start over, because you, you need to make sure you get this one, write it down or do something. But in our waiting time, the greatest benefit is that we come to know God more deeply and more profoundly. That's what happens in our waiting times. When we are thinking it's never going to happen, what we're actually doing is being given the opportunity to press into God and to know Him more deeply, to love Him more thoroughly. That's, what, that's what's actually happening. A lot of times we miss that. A lot of times we miss that. And the greatest benefit that God was wanting to give us during that time gets missed. So if you're in that waiting time, and we're all in a waiting room of some sort, so whatever you are waiting on, think about this. This is an opportunity for you to get to know God more deeply. That's really what it's about. It's that opportunity. It makes you think of 2 Peter. I love, it's a passage that I love. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then actually the next passage along with that. But in that passage, basically it says that we have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need, verse 3. I think it's verse 3. And then, but then it talks about on either side of that passage, that, that phrase, that first of all it says grace and peace are being multiplied to us. So I already have everything I need. But 
more is being added, right? And then it says that through the exceeding great and precious promises of God that we are partakers of the divine nature. But the word actually is becoming partakers of the divine nature. So, we, we, so Abraham knew, but he was knowing, right? He, he knew God, but he was growing in his knowledge of God. And that's what God wants to do for us in our waiting room period of time. Amen? So, in fact, I just, our, our old supervisor, Brother Westbrook, he used to have us stop and raise our hands and receive from God. <laughs> half, he'd do that about half a dozen times through a message. I feel like that right now. We need to hear that word. You need to hear that word. I, I say that, well, I just say it. You need to hear that word. That during this time, is your time to come to know God more deeply and more profoundly. The next passage of Scripture is not Abraham's finest hour. There is a, there's a famine in the land of Canaan, and Abraham decides to leave Canaan and go down to Egypt. And en route to Egypt, he says to Sarai, his wife, in fact, let's just read it, um, Let's start with verse 11. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know you're a woman of beautiful countenance. So she was evidently quite the looker. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He, was treated, he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh, who in this point seems to be more sensitive to God than Abraham. Think about it. Yeah. Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your why did you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife, take her, go your way. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So <clears throat> Abraham, after this, returned, and it kind of goes through a little bit about how rich he was, and Lot was rich as well. But he returned, and let's go to verse 3 of chapter 13. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. What was happening? Well, this is, this is my interpretation, all right? So you may interpret it differently, and if you do, that's fine. I, but this is how I'm interpreting this particular altar. That, first of all, Abram had made what I think was two great mistakes. Number one, he had no business leaving Canaan to begin with, notwithstanding that there was a famine. Where did God tell him, I'm going to give to you? 
that land. He was going to give him that land, not Egypt, that land. Okay, so there's a famine in the land. Where is his faith? Is his faith in the natural means or is his faith in God? Is God going to provide for him or not? So I, in my opinion, this is my opinion, he, I believe, evidenced a tremendous lapse of faith by leaving Canaan to go to Egypt. That he had absolutely no business leaving Canaan to go to Egypt. And what does it say to us? That when things get hard, we often try to take things into our own hands. Instead of, first of all, getting before God. And Lord, what is it you want me to do? How is it you're going to provide for me? Right? And we, 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 instead of trusting God, we trust in our own resources. He had the bright idea, I'll go to Egypt. Wasn't a good idea in my opinion. I believe he should have stayed right where he was and trusted. In fact, Isaac, his son, records that he was also in a time of famine, but he was blessed abundantly during the time of famine. So maybe they learned their lesson. But Abram, I think, first of all, made the mistake of not trusting God in terms of the famine. The second thing, he didn't trust God, and that's the bottom line. He didn't trust God for his safety and protection. Now, he also was a jerk. I mean, did, he, he, he put his wife's integrity at stake. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling, but, you know, it, in one way it's kind of encouraging because we realize that God can use anybody, right? <laughs> and so if he used Abraham, he used us. But he, he put his wife's integrity at stake. And, and he was completely self-centered. He said, it will, that way it will, how does it go? Please say you're my sister, that it may be well with me. That it may be well with me. <laughs> I'm not too worried about you, but I'm just concerned about me, right? And so he really had, in my opinion, messed up hugely. He, he failed to trust God in the famine. He failed to trust God for his protection. And he sacrificed, or he potentially sacrificed the integrity of his wife. And he, in my opinion, had messed up. And what did he do? He returned to an altar. He returned to an altar. What, what is that telling us? I, how did he feel? I wonder how he felt when Pharaoh called him in. What, is he, what are you doing? I, I think, I hope, he felt embarrassed. He probably felt ashamed. And he could have maybe even questioned everything that had happened up to that point. I don't know that, but he could have. And so what did he do? He returned to the altar where he had called on the name of the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord again. Well, what was he trying to do? He was, first of all, wanting to know God, right? He was, I mean, he knew what he had done, but he needed to be settled in who God is. 
and what God is. And in our crises, the most important thing is, is that we get a solid fix on who God is and what God is. Amen? And here, here, is, here is the, the lesson for us. It, it is illogical, it's unreasonable to believe that you, we can go through an entire lifetime and never stumble. Now, some of you can, of course, but <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek because none of you can. No, we, we're not going to, we're not, that's just not possible. There are going to be times that we stumble. There are going to be times that we sometimes completely derail. Sometimes that we lose our focus. And what this says to me, get this, because some of you may be in one of those kind of times right now. What this says to us is that there is always a way back. There is always a way back. We just have to return to that altar, worship God again, call on his name again, and God will continue to bless us. You, you are never unredeemable. Someone needs to hear that. Maybe someone online needs to hear that. You are never unredeemable. God can and will redeem you. You just have to return to the altar. You have to return there. And so that is the reconsecration. I don't remember how I have it in the notes, but that's, that's the reconsecration. The next thing that happens is, is that Abraham and Lot, Lot's his nephew, who's traveling with him, they become fabulously wealthy. And that's another whole story. But they become so wealthy that they, there is a clash. They're, they're trying to live together, but Lot's herdsmen, so he has all these men working for him. Abraham has all these men working for him. They begin to clash because they're, they're fighting for pasture land, for their sheep, and whatever other animals they happen to have. And, and it's, a, it's a huge conflict that begins to develop. And Abraham talked to Lot. He was his nephew. He says, we, we don't, let's don't fight. Let's don't fight. We're, we're brothers. We're family. So he told Lot, you, you choose whichever way you want to go. And whichever way you go, I'll go the other. But let's don't fight. And in that, in, in verse, chapter 13, verse 10, Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So it wasn't well watered after that. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now verse 14. So all that's happened. He's, he, Abram has trusted God. He said, okay, wherever, wherever you go, you get it. I'll take what's left over. And and the Lord said to Abram in verse 14, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are 
northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. That's why in 2023, Israel still lives there, right? Because forever. Uh, where was I? <clears throat> and I will make your descendants. Now, remember, he still doesn't have any children. And I don't know how old he is at this point, but he was 75 when this whole thing started, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I wouldn't want any children at 75, but that, yeah, but he, so, but I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise. Now, this is an important thing, and this would be a whole lesson in itself, but we're not going to go there today. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of, Mer of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. So <clears throat> that's a lot of scripture, but I think it's important. Um, a couple of things about this. I don't know if there's any significance to Abram moving again, but he did. But there is significance about where he went. And where he went, there's, there's several things about it. The, the word Mamre means strength. So he went to a place of strength. And the terebinth, I've, I've looked and looked and looked to try to find what significance there is to the terebinth tree. And if you, some translations say oak trees. Um, the NIV just says the great tree. And that really is probably the best translation. It's a strong, big tree. And so it has it, so Mamre and the tree both have to do with being a place of strength. So he moved into, now he moves into a place of of strength, where God is strengthening him to stand fast, to hold steady, to not give in. But it goes beyond that because then it says, which are in Hebron, or Hebron. I'm not sure how you say that. Pastor John could tell us. But Hebron, I'll just say Hebron. So he moves into Hebron, and Hebron just means association. But think about this. It, what the association has to do with a relationship has to do with friendship. And so Abraham, and I don't know at what point it happened, but Abraham moved into a place of intimate friendship with God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when Jehoshaphat was praying, there, was a, there were three armies coming against Israel, and Jehoshaphat called a fast, and he was praying. And he, as he's praying to God, he's referencing the fact that God had promised them the land and he said, you promised it to Abraham. Notice what he said, your friend forever. <laughs> your friend forever. Abraham was God's buddy. They were friends. Isn't that amazing? They were friends. And so this, this is, I don't know if it happened here, or if it already had been happening, and God is just now making it known to us. But what? either way, the point is, Abraham had moved from simply, okay, I'm supposed to leave this place and go, and he went, and then he began to call on the name of the Lord, 
and, and then he blew it, but came back to God, and now he's God's friend. And that's what happens in our waiting time. We, we have to, we respond to God, we listen to God, we begin moving, we, we, we start to really know who God is and what God is. We might mess up along the way, hopefully we don't, but we probably will. But then we come back to that place of an altar where we reestablish our relationship with God. And we move to the place of becoming literally God's friends. Jesus said in John 15, 15, just in case you think it's just Abraham. Jesus said, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. <laughs> Jesus calls us his friends. We are literally God's friends. It's amazing. You are literally God's friend. And we can talk to him that way. Amen. And then we come to the last altar, chapter 22. So I'm going to read a lot of scripture, but it's a story, so hopefully you can hang on and stay with me. I'm going to begin with verse 1. Chapter 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things, and these things, one of the things that has happened is Isaac has been born. And there's a whole bunch of things that happen in between here. And Pastor Gwimar is going to talk about one of those things next week. But there's a whole lot of things that have happened. But finally it culminates in Isaac being born 25 years later. <laughs> 25 years later. It took 25 years for this promise to be partially fulfilled. He never experienced the possession of the land. Never. He lived there, but he didn't possess it. It was at least 500 years later that they finally possessed the land. So after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then God said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So just as when Abraham, when God said, get out of this land and leave it, we don't find any record of Abraham even wrestling with it. He just did it. And once again, here God tells him, offer your son. And the very next morning, there's no time lapse. There's no days and days of wrestling this out in prayer, questioning God, none of that. The very next morning, he saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. That's an interesting way of saying it. He's going to go offering, but he says, we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. 
And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place at which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there. And he placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then You guys still with me? A lot of scripture. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead of his son. Oh, I lost my place. Uh, and Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Now notice, he's going to renew the covenant with him. God will renew his covenant with you. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens. And as the sandwich was on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So what was happening here? Obviously, a lot. And like I said, every single altar could be an entire message. So I hope, I think you're probably seeing that. But on this occasion, Abraham has finally received the promise. 25 years. He's received the promise. He has his son. And now how old Isaac was, we don't know. Um, some commentators think he was maybe as old as 25. I think that's silly. I mean, I think he was still a boy. Um, some, you know, I think maybe 12-ish, perhaps. Who knows? But we're not told. And everybody has their opinions. But he called him the lad. So I don't think he was a grown man. But so 25 years, let's say 12 just for the sake of the message. So let's say it's 37 years. Is that right? 25 and 40. Yeah, I'm not good at math. So, <laughs> so 37 years. So and now God says, I want you to sacrifice that. Here, here is my read on it. And again, this would be great for a classroom discussion. There's probably, you're probably having so many thoughts. You're saying, I wish I could share this. But um, my thought on that is this, is that we have the potential of the dream that God gives us 
becoming bigger than God himself. That, that we can worship the dream more than we can worship God. And, and God has to always be first. Even the dreams that he gives us, those are wonderful, but they're, but, but they're submitted to God. And so the way I read this is that, that Abraham had finally received the promise, but he needed to know that his love for God exceeded the love for his promise, which was his son. And he had to be willing to offer that. And of course, what happens is Jesus enters the picture, right? He, he saw, well, first of all, Abraham said, God will provide for himself. He, he was prophesying about Jesus. And then he saw a ram caught, and he went and got that ram and offered it. And, and words matter. And you'll hear me say that over and over. If you were in my classes, you'd hear me say it all the time. Words matter. And the words that God chose to give us matter. And he offered the ram instead of his son. And that is, it's like lights go off. That's Jesus being offered instead of you, instead of me. That's Jesus bearing the penalty of our sin. That's Jesus taking our place on the cross. And here's the thing about that. I was thinking about this actually just this morning. It wasn't like Abraham said, okay, well, I just have to cut you a little bit, and then I can take you off the altar, and then we'll offer the ram. I know that sounds silly, but I think we do that. Yeah, I have to pay a little bit. I have to, I have to suffer a little bit. I, I have to do something to add to my salvation. No, you don't. You're off, and Jesus is on. Jesus is offered instead of you. And there are people in this room right now, I know for a fact, not because I'm prophetic, because I'm not. I'm just a teacher. But, but I know just because I know people that there are people in this room who, for whatever reason, the sacrifice of Jesus doesn't quite seem enough to you. You feel so guilty. You feel so unworthy that you feel like there's some kind of suffering that you need to do first. And then the blood of Jesus can take over. But no, that's not the case. God is saying to you, you have to get off the altar, and I'm going to put my son on the altar. And that's it. I'm not going to cut you a little bit and then take you off. No, you just get off, and the son gets on. And he is sufficient. Jesus is sufficient for every single person in this room. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of Abraham.
how he's taught us so much. Even through his failures, he taught us so much. And God, as we are walking through life, life is such a journey. And it is a joyful journey, but it's a difficult journey too. And we do have those seasons where it just feels like nothing's really working and nothing's really coming to pass and nothing's really happening. But God, during those times, would you help us to know that we come to know you better, more deeply, more profoundly? And that when we fail, we can always return back to that altar and there we can renew our walk with you and ultimately, Jesus, you are the sacrifice that has redeemed us and reconciled us to God our Father. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. One of the things that I really wrestled with this entire preparation time was, okay, how do we build altars? <laughs> uh, you're probably not going to go out in the backyard and pile a bunch of stones up. Oh, you could. You, I mean, you actually could do that. It could be kind of like a symbolic place for you. You could do that. I think you can have a place in your home. We talked about that Wednesday night when our, our prayer class. By the way, the class, every lesson stands on its own. So if you haven't made the first two, you're welcome to come again, come to the last three. Um, there's five classes total. Um, <clears throat> there's probably needs to be a place that you go to in your home. Maybe a chair, maybe a, and some people actually have like little places that they have devised and, I can just picture my wife right now. She has her little corner staring out the back window, and it's, she just meets God there. And you have that place that you kind of have where you, you meet God. And that, that, that could be your altar place. Um, I think we build altars by, by declarations that we make before God. We, we feel like God's spoken something to us, and I think it's so important for us to make a declaration at that moment I believe God has spoken this to me and I declare that it is truth and I trust him to be able to bring it to pass. And again, this would be a great classroom discussion. How, how do we build altars? And, and you probably have ways that you do it. But however it is for you, that you have a place, you have a means of, of driving a stake in the ground, saying, this is the land God has given me. This is the promise God has made to me. And then you revisit that often. Amen? Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. If what you heard today impacted you, be sure to tell us about it. You can rate and subscribe to this podcast or contact us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or our website, calvarylifedfw.com. Thank you so much and have a great week.